song before? Okay. Most of us, right? Uh, Ralph, you can't answer this. Who wrote that song? Ralph. Anybody? Anybody? Besides Ralph? The, uh, <clears throat> it's interesting because most of us have heard this song, but we don't know who wrote it. Uh, it was written by a band called Buffalo Springfield. The song is titled "For What It's Worth." Uh, it, it, I think, it hit the charts solidly. It was 1967. Uh, it came out in 1966. And the the anybody know who? Well, Ralph would know who wrote it. Do you know? No, Stephen Stills. Okay, Ralph missed music trivia, guys. We all saw it. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, mark your calendar. It happened. You know, it's interesting because let me ask this question. When you hear that song, I don't don't think, actually nobody in here is probably old enough to really remember that song when it came out on the radio. Uh, But when you think about it, when you hear that song, what comes to mind? Vietnam. And and is it pro-Vietnam? No. No. What else comes to mind? Anything else come to mind for anybody else? Any images you see, things you you hear of? Huh? Penn State. Yep. Penn State. Woodstock. Woodstock. No one comes to mind. Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Right. You know, it's it's interesting because most of us have have heard that song before, and it it, it brings these images to mind. It 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 tended. It actually kind of embodied the, the anti-war movement in the time of Vietnam. It, it kind of became the, the song that people got behind to, to really rally to a cause. But if you ask Stephen Stills, he, he had no intention of that song being for that purpose. He's actually very clear on it. He, was, he wrote it, took him apparently all of about 15 minutes to write, uh, but he wrote it in response to seeing a protest on the Sunset Strip in, in Los Angeles because some legislation had been passed that said that there was now a curfew on the Sunset Strip. And so what happened is a lot of local musicians and club owners got together and, and in protest, they essentially had a giant street concert. And you know, 3,000 people show up and what ends up happening though is nothing, nothing was broken, nothing was stolen, nobody freaked out. But they actually called these the Sunset Strip riots. Because what happened is that people made a fuss that there's 3,000 people out here like doing this, and they showed up in full riot, like the, the police showed up in full riot gear. I mean, they're, they're like battle armor on, all of this stuff. I mean, to, to control this quote-unquote riot, and it really happened, and eventually people went home. But he, he wrote it in response to that, but it was taken and, and made something else as like a, the, the movement that ended up going forward and, and people just rallied around it and it inspired this, this thought, these emotions, these feelings for a cause. Alright? And so, uh, today I'm going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer. And so you're going, how does this equate to the Lord's Prayer? Um, 
I'd say it actually equates pretty closely because when you look at when you look at a um, these moments in time where big events are happening, where where these big changes are shifting, what can often happen is a song gets written or a poem gets made, or, or there's there's some sort of artistic thing that that kind of culminates a generation or or becomes the the banner for it, right? And in Jesus' case, I believe that he actually intended just that to be true for the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gives us this incredible, what, what you could really consider as a poem, to remind us about the cause, the focus, the reality, the purpose of what we're, we're behind and for. And it's, it's easily memorized. It's, it's something that you can go back to. And it gives you the clear direction and focus of really the Lord's priorities and what He loves and what He cares about, right? And so, I've actually titled this morning's sermon, if you're taking notes, as Loving the Lord's Priorities. And this morning, we're going to be going through just the Our Father together and looking at God's prayer and even what Jesus is trying to remind us of, call us to, teach us about as we go into the Lord's Prayer. And so, if you've got a Bible, go over to Matthew chapter 6. The hard part, one of the hard parts about everybody using phones now is like, in the past you would hear people just flipping pages. And now it's like, I don't know if you're there yet or not because it's just, and and then I just have to wait until people look up or, you know, they start reading a section. So, uh, but now, so I'm going to start in verse 9. As Jesus has just been talking about the Lord's Prayer, or he's talking about prayer, and then he he writes this, or he says this, and we see this in in verse 9. Jesus is speaking. He says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You know, we're going to talk about that next section, but really the, the prayer itself ends after his, as he says, deliver us from the evil one. And so what I want to do this morning is I kind of want to walk through this together, okay? And... So Jesus gives us, as I said, this poem. It's easily to remember. It's simple. It's clear. Uh, you know, I think he actually meant for us to pray this. I think it actually meant that we should, when you pray, you should pray like this. And I don't always do that. Just be real. I don't. Um, in fact, as I, I, to be honest, I grew up uh, praying this frequently uh, as, as, you know, Punishment, uh, essentially. And so it didn't necessarily endear me to the Lord's Prayer. Okay? Uh, and, and I remember even having a conversation with a friend in high school after I became a Christian, talking to him who grew up in the same church that I grew up in. And I was like, How do you, do you ever get a chance to pray? And he goes, you know, honestly, I just get tired of praying the same thing all the time. 
because he was taught only to pray the Lord's Prayer. And I think that there's, there's a lot there to unpack, but what I realized is there was no heart, there was no understanding, um, and even, I was like, you don't, that's not the only way, like, you, you can pray, like, to Jesus in other ways, but I do think that he did, Jesus, intend for us to pray like this. And there's not anything wrong with the prayer itself. The prayer is brilliant. I mean, Jesus did an incredible job giving us a way to pray. It's, it's usually with the prayer. Because we're, we're the one that, that takes the meaning out of it, do we not? And so, you know, I, I bet most of us, though, prayer is a reactive habit. And meaning that we pray when something happens. Uh, there was a woman named Anne Lamott, and she was writing on prayer, and this is how she described her reactive prayer life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Help me, help me, help me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> can anybody relate to that? I certainly can. Uh, you know, then I've had times in my life where that's been true. I've had times in my life where it's just the stream of consciousness prayer, and so I, I'm just praying and praying until I lose... You know, I, I forget that I was praying, and I start thinking about something else, and I'm like, oh, right, right, I'm praying, I've got to come back. And Anybody else do that? Yeah. Right? Okay. You know, and it... it there are some good parts to that, but I think Jesus is going, you know, I want your attention, I want you to be with me, and, and even uh, read the beginning of, of this passage as well uh, for yourself later. But I think that Jesus really wants us to pray like this. This is how you should pray. That's quotes, exactly what he said. You know, and so I think we should take the structure carefully and consider it and, and pray similarly. And by doing so, we align ourselves with God's priorities. You know, that, that doesn't mean we can never pray anything else other than the Lord's prayers verbatim, right? But it just means that we can really take this as, as some clear structure. We can pray this regularly if our hearts are right. And so, you know, one of the many things that I love about the brilliance of the Lord's Prayer is that it encompasses the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Yeah, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so, first, you love God, and then you love others. And really, I think, if we look at this, it encompasses those two things. Love God, love others. And, you know, he's, he's given us this prayer to first orient us to the Father, and, and then, and his priorities, and then he writes it and gives it to us to orient us to us. And I do think that he means us, even though often we mean me when we pray this, right? Give me bread, lead me not into temptation, forgive me my sins. Uh, and, and I'm totally guilty of this as well. And, and only recently have I really been trying to, to change the way I pray through this. Because I think that Jesus did intend that we should pray this prayer and the elements of this prayer, but... It's been interesting to me to see how my heart has changed, how my mind has changed when I stop just praying, give me my daily bread, right? Forgive me my sins. When I started praying, give us our daily bread. Give my brothers and sisters, you know, 
And, and help them forgive others. Help me forgive others. You know, we, we, we go through this process and it really is about us. And, and that's what Jesus shows us. And so that's why I say it encompasses both the greatest command in this. Both loving God and loving others. You with me? Yeah. All right. So I want to just dig into this, okay? So let's just jump into this passage. As, as Jesus writes this, he says, Our Father... Just pause right there. Our Father. You know, if you go through the, the, the uh, Old Testament, rarely do you ever see any of, of God referred to as a Father. Rarely. And yet, and even then, in Jesus' time, the Pharisees didn't refer to, to God as a Father. A few did, but most of them did not. And, and yet, if you go through the Scriptures, you're going to see that Jesus refers to God as a father way more than he ever refers to him as God. And and here in this prayer, Jesus is trying to remind us of the thing that he loves, what the Lord loves. He loves his relationship with the Father. And it's not this like deity upon high. He goes, no, no, no. Your God loves you. And when you pray daily, you've got to remember, he's not far away. He's your father. He loves you. He wants a relationship that's meaningful and deep and compelling. Right? Mm-hmm. And when you pray, do you pray like that? Do you pray remembering that, no, 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 this isn't just a God upon high. This is a God who wants to be close to you. Right? And I think that that's one of the things that Jesus loved was his relationship with God. He's trying to call us to a, a relationship with this perfect father. And, and it's meant to be, I think, a daily reminder to us that, hey, get close to him. Get close to your father who loves you. And that, depending on your relationship, not everybody had a great relationship with their father. But here's a perfect father. Right? And, and maybe yours wasn't so great, or maybe you don't really, you didn't know your dad, or maybe you had an amazing father. But here is an even better one. And it's kind of going, get, let's get to know him. Let's get close to him. But look at the next section of that. He goes, so he says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, who talks like that these days? Hallowed be thy name. Uh, and so, but hallowed just simply means holy. Holy is your name. Oh God. And holy means something that's, that's set apart. And to Jesus, God's holiness was precious. Right? And not only is it a close relationship, but it's a precious, with, with the precious God and Father. And so when we pray, we just go, thank you God, you know, the thank you, thank you, thank you, you know, help me, help me, help me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Do we acknowledge who we're talking to? Do we acknowledge how great it is? Any of us um, pray and we forget how big God is? That we're so overwhelmed by our troubles, our sorrows, that we forget that our God is amazing and incredible. And that He loves us and wants a close relationship with us. And He's holy and set apart. Do me a favor, close your eyes. And just try to imagine this with me. Try and envision being in a massive throne room. The size of of a huge, like a a football stadium. 
And the room is filled with a golden light. And as you move forward, there's a golden dais right up in front of you that leads up to a throne. And there's large bowls of incense, just smoke trailing into the air in this light. And upon that throne is just a radiance of light that you cannot even look at. But you can feel the presence of God. You can feel that He's grateful and joyful that you have come. For now, it's it's just you and God. There's no one else in this room. He wants to hear what's on your heart. And you can just feel he's saying, just talk to me. I'm so glad that you are here. I want this time. Open your eyes. Do you feel that? Anybody? I mean, I, I, this is how I try to pray sometimes. I don't always pray like this. I'm not a perfect prayer. But this is one of the ways I try to pray where I just try to come into God's throne room. I bow before his seat. I acknowledge his power, his authority, his holiness. I can't even look at him. But he is so glad that I'm there. That's how God wants us to approach him. Right? To be near him. So he wants to be so close to us that he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Right? And so it's a reminder to us, our God is holy. He is mighty. He is powerful. There is nothing that can stand against him. And so when you pray, come before Him with, with yeah, sure, some fear and trembling, but with, with joy and gratitude because He wants to be there. Amen? Amen. You know, and, and as we go on, you know, you think that as Jesus, He's writing, and it's incredible. I mean, Jesus was a brilliant guy, imagine that. But He writes, The kingdom, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the kingdom of God is often thought of as, as just heaven. And, and that's certainly how I thought of it as I grew up. You know, one day when we get there, we won't have to worry about all the stuff here. Right? Can anybody relate to that? Yeah. And I remember that when I was younger, I would actually pray through, um, not that I did this all the time, but if I prayed through this passage, uh, or I prayed through the prayer, that uh, I remember praying on this section... God, just usher in your kingdom. Like, like, let the world in. Let everything just fire, brimstone, Armageddon. Like, let it happen. You know, that was my prayer because I, I thought that, no, 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 no. The kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I thought that as like, all right, let the end come so that everything can be finished. But that's not what Jesus is trying to teach us. And actually, that, that's a false theology that I kind of had in my mind. Um, you know, maybe it came from a cool book series, maybe it came from, you know, just how I grew up. I didn't have a view of, of the kingdom of God as it truly meant to be. Because the thing is, is the kingdom is already present. It came with Jesus. It, it, it came with the Holy Spirit. And, and we currently are members of the kingdom. And so, wherever we go, we take it with us. You know, and... and So when he says, your will be done on earth, he means here, now, on earth, as it is in heaven. Because when you're here, the kingdom is around you. 
right? And so you think of it this way. An embassy is set up in the United States for different countries. We have, we have a bunch of embassies, and, and we have embassies in other countries. And when you go to those embassies, that is the, the, essentially the sovereign territory of that country where they have that embassy. So when you go there, you need to obey those laws. You can seek sanctuary in them. I mean, all sorts of things. But within there, that's, that's that kind of country's little place. And so if you think of yourself as the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, you yourself are a, min, a mini embassy. Everywhere you walk, everywhere you go, you are taking the kingdom with you. Right? The, the laws of the kingdom reside around you. And, and so when, you, when Jesus is praying, He's saying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. He's trying to remind us that, hey, we're called to remember I'm a part of this kingdom here, now, on earth, as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. Like here on earth, we are a part of that. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And so it's a, it's a reminder of us. It's, a, it's supposed to be daily. Don't forget. Don't forget who you are. You are a disciple of Jesus. You are an ambassador for Christ in a nation that's not your own. In a world that's not your own. You are the embassy for the kingdom of God. I, I think that's awesome to think about. Mm-hmm. That you can bring that into the world. And, and that's really how God's plan of, of winning the world still is to do it through people. The more people we help, the more we build the kingdom on earth. And it's not meant to be an earthly kingdom, but it is meant to be a place where God's will resides around us. Amen? And it's a reminder that Jesus wants to give us because He loves the kingdom. So let's love the kingdom too. Amen? Amen. You know, this other part, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus, I believe, is trying to cultivate this mindset in His disciples that our daily needs be met by the Father. Now, is anybody... You don't have to raise your hand, but I don't think any of us in here are really worried about where our next meal is going to come from. You know, now it's the beginning of the month, so maybe some college students or singles are paying some bills and they're like, uh, you know, uh, things will be a little skinny for the first two weeks of the month or so. Um, but even that, I think if we're praying like this, can be resolved. You know... Jesus is trying to remind, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but Jesus is trying to remind us that, hey, even if you have a lot, everything you have is from the Father. And, and he's trying to cultivate this mindset that I need God, I need this relationship, uh, I, I need everything that you're providing for me, Jesus, Amen. daily. Even if you can afford to buy 10 years worth of food, we've got to go back and look at everything I have I'm provisioned from the Lord. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us. You know, but again, it isn't about me having enough. It's really about us having enough. You know, when we have the Jesus perspective, it's for us to take into consideration the whole community of believers. When I pray this so often, I've prayed... Just God, continue to provide for, for me, for my family. But Jesus taught me in the scriptures that I should be praying for us, the community of believers. I should be praying for the needs of the congregation. 
and a reminder that, hey, you know, there are needs in our congregation. And, and we should be praying that they're provided for. And that we can remember that they're there. And, and that's why I love, you know, we're talking about hope worldwide and all these different things. I mean, there, there are disciples, I'm sure, that are affected by so many of the natural disasters. I and mean, we, we heard just a story of one in the video, right? But we're not, we only know of one. We don't know of how many there could be. And yet, even if it's not us, just thinking how we can provide. But of our community here, if we're praying like this, how much more are our hearts going to love each other? Because what Jesus desires is a, is a community that's close together, that knows each other, that loves each other. And if we're praying for each other like this, then we're going to do that. Because it's not about me, it's about we. It's about us together. And that's what matters to Jesus. He loves this church. He loves us. He wants us to have the mindset that everything we have is from God. But sometimes, and and what we're going to be provided and provisioned with is going to come from God. But how he sets it up sometimes is that it comes from one another. And I think that when we're praying about it, it makes those things and those times even easier. It also means that we have to pray that we can put aside and be humble ourselves and, and... be humble enough to accept the gift and the charity. The, the, I didn't have my wallet with me the other night, and we went to the movies, and Steph was like, Mike, you need to just let us serve you. She's like, why are you being prideful, bro? And I was like, because I don't want you to, I have money, and I don't want you to have to pay for me. And I'm like, I'll Venmo you. And she's like, just let me serve you. And I was like, Fine. Tried to give her. I, I had ten dollars, and she wouldn't take my ten dollars. Movies more than ten bucks, but she wouldn't take it. I was like, All right, I'm just going to be served with a happy heart. <laughs> uh, and it's not easy, though, is it? It's not easy to be served. She's right. She was so right. I was being prideful that just let somebody love me and give to me because it encourages other people to be giving, right? But it, it's hard. Like, I'm like, I don't need it. But sometimes just people get to feel loved by being that way. And it's something that we should consider carefully. But let's pray like this. That the Lord not only provide for us, but it, that He provide for the church. And, and that may even encourage you to ask, hey, what do you need? What can I pray for for you? And, and maybe you'll feel compelled by the Holy Spirit that you will provide some of the things that are needed for other disciples. Amen? Amen. talk about this one. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, does this mean I need to pay back Steph the $10? No. It's not talking about actual debts like this. He's talking about sins. Though I'm happy to pay back the $10, but she won't let me sign on. Uh, or whatever it was. I think it's... <clears throat> Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Some translations use the word temptation, some use the word sin. Um, different versions of the gospel uh, it have this line just slightly differently. But ultimately, the message is the same. God has forgiven you. Or please, God, forgive me for my sins as I forgive others. And, you know, shortly before this, Jesus in chapter 5 spoke about his teachings on forgiveness. And he will again later in Matthew 18. But forgiveness is a very is, is at the very heart of the kingdom movement. 
It's at the heart of the message of the cross. It's the heart of the message of Jesus. And so there is something about forgiveness that as the kingdom advances and restores this broken world back to what it should be, it motivates and inspires us. You know, Jesus sees this as something that we need to be reminded of daily. Because he's given us this when you pray, and and he expects that we would pray daily if we follow his example, multiple times a day, obviously. But that this is something we need to have burned into our brains and imprinted upon our hearts. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. You know, with that forgiveness, I am called as a disciple of Jesus to forgive. And part of what Jesus sees so utterly wrong with humanity is that, that we have this, this assertion or this, this, this means to assert our right to get even. Don't we? Somebody cut you off in traffic. How do you feel? Hit them with your car, you know, or like uh, somebody does something. I mean, okay. Some of us have felt that way at different points, I'm sure. Uh, at different things, somebody does something wrong to you, and you're like, I need to get them back, and I will not back down. I have my right to pay back. That's one of the things that Jesus is like, no, it's utterly wrong. <clears throat> so what happens is, when we assert this, one wrong is responded to by creating another wrong. And that wrong is responded to by creating another. And it just becomes this downward spiral of, of payback, of revenge. And so in this teaching, here and in earlier, we hear Jesus declare, this is where the spiral stops. With you, with me. And later as... As humanity's representative, you know, Jesus shows us his example before the Father. He sets us this by, by on the cross, even as he's dying and his murderers are taunting him and mocking him, he prays for these people. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's not trying to get even, he's trying to save their souls. He's trying to forgive them. He is showing us how to stop the spiral of pain and torment and hate. He's stopping it. You know, and so now, Jesus' teachings of forgiveness, okay, they're complex. They are really, but they're really, really practical and difficult and easily misunderstood. (laughs) You know, something I'm studying studying out and, and hope to discuss more about and preach about, but... Forgiveness in the teachings of Jesus, it does not mean this sweeping, um, this, this sweeping of wrongs under the rug. It doesn't mean that you ignore the wrongs that have happened uh, or that you somehow condone it by saying, hey, you know what, it's not a big deal. I forgive you. Don't worry about it. That's not Christian forgiveness. That's not biblical forgiveness, actually. You, if, you, if you look at Jesus' teachings, Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, you see that in Jesus' view of forgiveness is that you fully draw attention to what happened. You fully bring your attention to, hey, here was the sin that was done to me and the wrong that happened. And you draw attention to it, you name it, you say it, And then after you name what it is, 
you choose to release your right to full recompense and getting even. And you forgive. You know, if we study the teachings of Jesus, we find that it doesn't mean that there's no consequence for the person's action or that you're suddenly supposed to just be best friends again. Right? You know, forgiveness, keep in mind, is not the same as reconciliation. To be reconciled in a relationship, the parties or the people involved must humble, both parties in reconciliation must humble themselves. You know, they must own what's been done and they must extend the offer to forgive together. But that's not always possible. Because that requires two parties. But not with forgiveness. See, Jesus' view of forgiveness, it only takes one. And he, he's calling us to be the one, regardless of the other. And he expects that the disciples of Jesus to choose to give up their right to retaliate because Jesus gave up that right for me and for you. This is hard. Let's just call it how it is. This is hard. This is, it's hard for me. And, and even, you know, if you're thinking, if you're thinking, oh, I wish so-and-so was here. I wish that someone else could hear this. I should send this and maybe do. But the thing is, is it's for you. Yeah. Right? This for, it's for me. Even as I write this, this is a good for me to hear. As I was praying about it and, and reading this and studying it, and, and I want to continue to study this, I need to hear this. We all need to hear this. And, and sure, others need to hear this. But it's for me. You know, I must choose to see that other person or people as being human beings. People with dignity and made in the image of God. They may be messed up, and, and, but I need to come to a place where I can at least wish them well. And, and release them of this debt that they owe me in compensation for the way that they hurt me. You guys with me? Yeah. This is what Jesus is teaching us. He knows that this is radical. He knows that this is absurdly difficult. Okay? I can struggle with this. Just being honest and real. So, but Jesus, oh my goodness, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, and not necessarily always in a happy thank you. But he follows this up. <laughs> he follows it up and he wants us to make sure that we got his message. And says in verse 14 and 15, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. <laughs> Ouch. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, you know, Jesus is adamant about this point because forgiveness is at the very heart of the kingdom and the heart of his message. He does not say if you struggle for, to forgive or if it takes you time to forgive. He says if you refuse to forgive. And now, that means that we've got to struggle. Now, not, it doesn't mean delay. I'm, don't take the if I struggle with sin you know, to forgive as license to take time. No, no, no. Jesus expects you to fight to forgive now. And, and if you refuse, read there his words. He's saying, it's, it's on us. 
And so, to Jesus, the ability to forgive really is a direct sign on whether or not we ourselves have internalized the grace and forgiveness that has been shown us. Jesus knows this is hard, and that's why he expects us us to be praying about it every day, possibly multiple times a day. So let's pray about it, amen? And if you're young and you don't have that many people you feel like you've got to forgive yet, you know what? Life's going to happen. And the message of Jesus is going to get all the more relevant over time. I promise. It's just how life works. And it makes it all the more beautiful and understanding and amazing why Jesus' message is the message the world needs. You know, and so let's, let's wrap up the last section. It says, lead us not into temptation. You know, God's not in the habit of leading people into temptation. He's not. Um, you know, Jesus himself was tempted, but it was Satan that he was tempted by. <clears throat> it's not God's will to lead us into temptation. But living as disciples of Jesus means that temptation will come. Trials will come. The prayer is a reminder to be on guard uh, and a request for aid from God when the times of trial and temptation do come. You know, we've got to remember that prayer is just not for ourselves, but it's for the community of believers as well. It's not just praying that God lead me not into temptation, it's lead us not into temptation. Praying for our brothers and sisters to be to be protected, to be guarded, to be taken care of as, as they go through trials, temptations, challenges, that we're praying for each other. And even asking for prayer of Pray for me in this. I'm being tempted and challenged. And so here, really, I mean, I'm thinking that we should really do a short mini-series over this. Because this is a condensed version of the Lord's priorities and what He cares about. You know, in conclusion, I want to challenge us. You know, what happens if, if every disciple took this seriously? What would happen? God's name would be exalted daily in our hearts and in our minds. We would come so ready to praise God because we're so much more aware of how great He is. If we take this seriously, our mission to live out and advance God's kingdom on earth would be daily on our minds. You would know that I'm changing the world here. Because I'm bringing God's kingdom. And not by your power, but by God's power, it's happening. Right? If we took this seriously, our hearts and our minds would go out to our brothers and sisters. We could better love one another. We could better meet needs for one another. We would be aware of the challenges and, and, and love and, and necessary actual provisions, whether it be food or housing or, or just some aid in some way. A, a, a hug we'd be more aware of because we're praying about it. You know, if we take it seriously, we would be... We would humble ourselves and remember that God is the one who provided everything we have. If we take it seriously and we love God's priorities, forgiveness would abound. If every disciple did this, reconciliation would happen in the church on every issue. Quickly. Because we take forgiveness seriously. But even if reconciliation doesn't happen, forgiveness is on you. Is what one of the things that Jesus wants to make clear. We've got to pray about this daily because it's hard. You know, if we love God's priorities, 
We will pray earnestly for one another to be guarded and strengthened against Satan and his schemes and all the ways that Satan tries to test us. So as we pray like this, we can love God's priorities. We can love the Lord's priorities by loving God and by loving others. And so what I want to do is I actually want to pray this together. So turn on your Bibles. Maybe we can pray through this together as a conclusion for the sermon this morning. I'll lead us through this. Our Father in heaven, why don't you guys pray with me? It'd be great. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray together. Amen.